Ron Belgau is an internationally known speaker who lectures on biblical sexual ethics and his own experience as a celibate gay Christian. He is the co-founder with Wesley Hill of Spiritual Friendship, an increasingly popular group blog dedicated to exploring how the recovery of authentic Christian teaching on friendship can help provide a faithful and orthodox response to the challenge of homosexuality. In 2015, during Pope Francis's visit to Philadelphia, he and his mother Beverly were invited to speak at the World Meeting of Families about how Catholic families can better respond to gay, lesbian, and bisexual persons in their midst. He has taught ethics, medical ethics, philosophy of the human person, and philosophy of religion at St. Louis University. He has also been a research assistant at the University of Notre Dame at the Center for Philosophy of Religion. For a decade and a half, he has traveled around the United States speaking about sexuality and pro-life issues from an Orthodox Christian perspective at Georgetown, Pepperdine, Gordon College, Seattle Pacific, Notre Dame, Hope College, Huntington University, and the University of Dallas. More recently, he has also been invited to speak at Trinity Western University in Canada and Notre Dame's Extension Campus in London. In addition to spiritual friendship, he has served on the steering committees for Bridges Across the Divide, a group leader for multi-faith AIDS projects, and as leader of the Gay Christian Network Celibacy Support Forum. His writing has appeared in the New York Times, New Oxford Review, First Things, and Notre Dame Magazine. So let's see if this guy knows anything. Let's welcome Ron Belgau. So thinker or feeler? (laughs) Which do you think? I'll give it away, it's thinker. Um, First of all, I want to thank all of you for being here. Um, I see some of you got here early and got the good seats in the back and weren't forced to take the seats up here in the front row. Um, This is a really uh, difficult topic, and obviously it's very hard to cover more than a tiny sliver of it in a presentation like this. Um, I also want to start by a small apology, but uh, I've been, um, my dad is currently in hospice care, and I've been doing a lot with that, um, which is a challenge for spending time on this stuff. Um, But I also think it's worth mentioning that because it's easy doing this sort of international speaking thing to think that the most important thing that I do is go out there and speak in this place or that place or write the article for this publication or that publication. And I'll sound a little bit like a feeler here, but it's easy to lose sight of the importance of human relationships and the responsibilities that go with those relationships. And my relationship with my dad, um, growing up, realizing as a teenager that I was gay, um, and his reaction to that in the 80s and 90s was not good. And there was a lot, there were times when I thought we were going to end up permanently estranged, that there would just be no relationship left. And there's no great epiphany moment that everything sorted itself out, but over time, that's something that has slowly been pulled back together and that now, as he's 
in the last month or year, months or year or two of his life um, that I can be there and help him and that we can continue to put that relationship back together. And I think that's something you know, I would not have expected um, when I was 18 or 20 that that was how things would work out. I would not have been surprised to have been estranged from him. And I know many people who are estranged from family members, um, parents, brothers and sisters, and so forth, uh, because of not being able to sort out their disagreements on this issue. And so I think it's a real testimony to the ability of the gospel to keep it work in our hearts, even when it's difficult, and help us to put those relationships back together. And a reminder that when we talk about uh, philosophy, theology, all of the kinds of things that I can lecture about, you know, those general principles are valuable. They do help us to know what, how a relationship works well, what are things that are contrary to God's will that ultimately um, interfere with our relationships. But they're not going out and lecturing the, about those things, believing those things, getting it right, um, is not more important than getting relationships right than being able to keep at it year in and year out, even when things are difficult, even when forgiveness is required, um, to sort that out. When my mom and I were invited to speak at the World Meeting of Families, um, which was uh, several thousand people we were speaking to, um, my dad, as we were preparing for it, Prior to that, I had never really talked about the difficulties that I had with my dad. I think that's, you know, there's an element honoring your father and mother even when things are difficult. It doesn't mean going out and telling the world about mistakes that they've made. But one of the things that my dad wanted uh, when we were preparing for the World Meeting of Families was for us to talk about the way that his response, um, the mistakes that he had made in his reaction, in the way that he had condemned gay people, in the way that he had tried to scare me out of being gay. Because he said it was really important for other families to hear um, what they needed to do differently that he didn't want other families to make the same mistake that he had made. And that was important enough to him that he was willing for us to say things that would be a bit embarrassing, that would cast him in a less than perfect light in a very public setting. Um, and I think it's a testimony to the sort of, in his life, gradually coming to terms with the mistakes that he had made and wanting to set that right, wanting to help others to avoid those mistakes. And this is, you know, many of you will have stories that have some resonance with that. Others will be quite different. But each of us, in our whatever situation we find ourselves in, um, 
our relationships help to, form, help to tell us what is it that I need to do? What do I need to do to make my relationships right, to make my relationships line up with God? And sometimes those are very humble things, like you know, my dad had pneumonia back in March and now um, sometimes needs help just to get to the bathroom. So, you know, now the father-son relationship is to hold his arm so he doesn't fall over while he's getting in to go to the bathroom. And these are, you know, not as prestigious as going to London. <laughs> or as fun. London is a nice place to visit. Uh, but that's, I think it's important to, it's something that has been on my mind a lot is recognizing that these sort of big global uh, fights that we're having in our culture about, you know, what do you believe about this, what do you believe about that, it's easy in the midst of all of that to lose who are the people that God has called me to love. So you hear a little bit in that about the challenges that I had realizing that I was gay as a teenager. Um, my dad did not react well to that at all. Um, and neither did the church that I grew up in. Now, I did not say anything about that to people in the church. There was nobody knew that they were talking about me. But there were a lot of things said that were very, very cruel. Um, and you know that made it very hard to believe that there was any place for me in that church. Like, uh, at one point, um, I grew up, I should say, Southern Baptist, and at one point, a traveling revival preacher came in and said that um, if America does not bring back the death penalty for gays, then God will destroy America the way he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, after that's been said from your, pul your pulpit, you're not going to want to mention your struggle. Um, and I should say, this was one of the things that was striking to me was how different the reaction to homosexuality was to other things. You know, grew up in a little church that had um, you know, people who were recovering drug addicts, and they were welcomed, and you know, if they told their gave their testimony at a Wednesday night prayer meeting. It was very unfinished, and there were a lot of loose ends. But we loved them anyway, and they were welcomed and made a part of the community. So on the one hand, I saw you know, with other things that people struggled with um, a very different reaction than the way that I heard people react to homosexuality. And so I mostly thought, um, these people are crazy. They have no clue at all. Um, you know, they're clearly taking things out of context and, um, you know, I will go to college and I will be gay and I will leave these people behind and that will be that. Um, and so I went to college and at freshman orientation, um, ran into uh, an acquaintance. Uh, I was in high school debate, and so at freshman orientation, ran into a guy who had 
also been in high school debate, but for a different high school. And I was at the University of Washington with 35,000 other students there. The one acquaintance that you have once talked to <laughs> is like old friends. Um, you know, this is a face that we know. So we uh, got to know each other. We were both um, very interested in planes at that point. I was thinking of becoming an aeronautical engineer. He was planning to become a pilot. Um, we had a class together. Um, so we would get together and study. Um, he was also a Christian, so we talked a lot about, you know, the sort of things that you do as a freshman in college, stay up late and discuss the meaning of life and, uh, you know, why does God allow pain to be in the world and um, all of these kinds of questions. Um, and at some point along the way, um, I had my senior year in high school written a speech on in favor of gays in the military. This was a sort of early stage of my flipping one of my fingers, but I won't tell you which one, <laughs> um, at the conservatives that I'd grown up with. So I, this was my senior year in high school was uh, 1993, 92-93, so we had the beginning of the Clinton presidency, and as you recall, gays in the military was the big fight then, so I decided to do a speech in favor of gays in the military. And uh, Jason, this friend, had seen it at some point, and he was going into the, he wanted to be a fighter pilot, and he had grown up Christian, and he disagreed with this. So we argued a whole lot about it. Um, and uh, eventually, um, I was uh, up at visiting his parents' house for the Apple Cup weekend, which is Apple Cup is the big cross-state rivalry in Washington State. Um, and so uh, I was up there. We were watching it. We'd wa um, and then that evening, we got into the argument again. And he says, but doesn't the idea of two men holding hands totally weird you out? And then grabs my hand. <laughs> so I um, said in my best debater mode that my feelings about this did not matter one way or the other. Um, the question was, should we tolerate people in the military uh, because they were gay? Um, I was not letting on what my feelings about the matter were, but there it is. <laughs> um, and so then... Um, he said, but doesn't the idea of two guys cuddling totally freak you out and puts his head on my chest? So then we kept arguing like this, and I f felt, you know, buddy, <laughs> you're, <laughs> there's something inconsistent <laughs> about where you're arguing and what you're doing. But um, the next day, he assured me that he was not gay. Um, but that, so then after that, we went on for a number of months with this sort of romantic dynamic, but um, never any kind of sexual experimentation, um, him not really being willing to describe, discuss what was going on, but also continuing to argue about what does the Bible say about homosexuality. And there's a very big difference about how you react to 
um, that discussion in the context of someone who says we should be killing gay people and how to react to it in the context of this situation where it's in some ways sort of tacitly uh, how are, what are we supposed to do with where we're at right now. Um, and the interesting thing to me was the more that I began to discuss it, the more that I started to realize however much the Christians that I'd grown up with had treated gay people very differently from the way that they treated a whole bunch of other sins. Um, the Bible still didn't seem to leave a lot of room for saying a gay relationship is the same thing as a marriage. Um, you know, for one thing, marriage is very tied up with children. You know, it's not just in the Bible, um, two people who really like each other, but the blessings of children are an important part of what the Bible says about marriage. Um, and I could go into more of that, but the, the th insight that really hit me at one point along the way in these conversations, um, as I was trying to explain to God, you know, my thoughts on why he should bless gay relationships, was that love is not the same thing as sex. Um, that at this point I was thinking a lot about David and Jonathan's relationship, which is bore a certain resemblance to the kind of closeness that we had, but realized you know, that the, what you see in David and Jonathan, in fact, it, there's explicitly um, in 1 Samuel 18, it says um, that they, spirit, or Jonathan became united in spirit with David. In spirit, not one flesh as Adam and Eve were. Um, and so I started to realize, partially because of my own Bible study and the arguments that we were having, but also from realizing that actually the closeness and friendship that we have here does not require, it's not like you have to give that up to give up sex, or that having the intimacy and friendship means that sooner or later it has to end in sex, but that love is not the same thing as sex. Um, obviously, this is a lasting several months, a thing that I could spend much more than 10 minutes describing. I'll just, one thing that more I'll say about that relationship. Um, we used to, on weekends, go rent movies. You probably remember the time when you could go to a place and actually bring home a video cassette um, and watch it and remember to rewind before you took it back. <laughs> uh, so we would go and get movies. And one weekend we got uh, out of Africa. Um, and uh, so we watched the movie, and after we finished it, he said to me, have you ever thought of being a missionary? Now, if you've seen the movie, you know that it's a story about uh, Meryl Streep having an adulterous relationship with Robert Redford and not in any way a story about missionaries. Um, <laughs> but 
the, the conversation that we got in, it has beautiful aerial footage of Robert Redford owns an old biplane, and there's some incredibly beautiful scenes of them flying over Africa. And he had recently read a book about some missionaries who were in the third world and who flew around uh, delivering medical supplies and supplying remote mission posts. And so this you know, plane in Africa sparked the thought of being a missionary. So we talked about that. Um, neither of us ever became missionaries, at least not in the planes in Africa sense. But the thing that was really interesting to me about that conversation was the realization that um, in many ways it was a sort of immature 19-year-old dream, but there, was all, there were also ways in which had we eventually done that, you know, having a family as a missionary in a place like Africa is very difficult. Uh, there are risks that you expose your family to in going into remote areas, or that if you go into the remote areas, you could die and leave the family behind, as happened with Elizabeth Elliot, a fairly famous example of this. And so there, I began to see ways that here, you know, we both really liked planes. We had this close friendship. There's sort of this romantic dream of going and flying around Africa. In some ways, immature 19-year-old, um, you know, lucky that it, we didn't try to make it happen kind of thing. But in another way, the beginnings of the realization that some of these threads in my life that could be connected with being gay, all, we're not necessarily, there, it's not just lustful desire there, and that there was a way to weave some of those threads together differently so as to serve God in a way that it would be difficult for someone who was married to serve. Um, and so that just sort of started my thinking, my realization that there may be things in my life that I can, you know, in one way this could be directed towards a gay relationship, but put together differently it can be a way of serving God. Now, 19-year-olds are probably not the experts at doing that, but at least there's the beginnings of the sense that that can be done there. Okay, I don't want to get too bogged down in that. Um, that gives you a little bit of a sense of how I got to the belief that um, the Bible condemns homosexuality. I know you guys have gone over that before, so I won't get into the individual... Uh, Greek words and all of that, but you get a basic sense. Let me talk about two other friendships that have been significant for me that I think have played an important role in shaping how I went out, how I became more involved in ministry. So first, I want to talk about Justin Lee, who is the founder of the Gay Christian Network and who uh, favors same-sex marriage. Um, he and I also became friends when I was an undergrad. We were both undergrads. Um, and we also argued endlessly about this issue, but I was by this time a traditionalist, 
and a thinker, and he was arguing for same-sex marriage and a feeler. And uh, I hurt his feelings and all sorts of things. Uh, but we remained friends, and we kept going back and forth about this. Eventually, he invited me to write an essay for his website, um, which I wrote in 2002, or no, 2003, um, about 18,000 words analyzing all kinds of biblical arguments and stuff. Um, and one of the things that I think is important about that is that our friendship enabled us to take a very, very divisive issue and figure out how to present the arguments on both sides respectfully in a way that was not just pushing people away, but was in some ways very hard-hitting. Um, you know, I, um, being a thinker, uh, didn't shy away from, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul saying that a certain list of, ver there's various sins that mean you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. The stakes here are not just, um, you know, that this is something, this is a minor question. Um, the scriptures put the stakes very high, but nonetheless, it's important for us to argue respectfully. And one of the advantages of arguing respectfully is that you learn a lot more about the issue. Now, one of the things that Justin really pushed, as you would not be surprised after listening to the talk, is the importance of love. How is that he would argue that these are just arbitrary rules and that ultimately everything in the New Testament comes down to loving God or loving neighbor. And so one of the things that Justin has continued to push me to do for more than 20 years now is how do you think about these prohibitions in terms of love? Don't just tell me the prohibitions. How do you frame this in terms of love. Now, that's not entirely impossible for me since I have my own experience that I just talked about that can help bring that out. But um, if you know anything about the way that conservative Christian discussions on this issue go, if you're in the conservative camp, as I am, it's a lot safer to just stick with what does the Bible say and not challenge um, the people who are being very strong about forbidding things and say, well, but are you being loving? Um, you get your foot stepped on. <laughs> um, and out in public, they have nastier things they can do. <laughs> um, but I think it's much better for the integrity of the message that we present if we not only say, okay, yes, this is forbidden, but how do we go back and understand this in terms of love? Now, Justin is very good at search engine optimization, and so after a few years, this essay that we wrote um, was the number two result on Google if you searched for gay Christian, which is a pretty broad global term that a lot of people search, and a lot of people read the essay. 
the problem with a lot of people reading an essay that argues why there's prohibitions on gay sex is that if they're convinced, they then ask you, well, what next? Um, and so I have, since that was written um, in 2003, uh, so 15 years ago, I have had hundreds, maybe thousands of people say some form of that. Um, okay, I'm convinced by your arguments that this is prohibited. Now what? And I'm always very uncomfortable with that question because it's a hard question. Uh, but this brings me to um, my friendship with Wesley Hill. Now, I originally, uh, Wes and I met much more recently in 2010. Uh, well, not much more recently, but more recently anyway. In 2010, uh, he published a book called Washed and Waiting. So it's a reference to both 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul condemns various things, but gay sex is one of them, and then says, um, but you were washed, you were purified, you were sanctified. Um, so he's referencing that. And then um, in Romans 8, talking about the creation groans as we wait for redemption. That's the waiting. That, yes, he agrees with the traditional teaching. Yes, he's given up gay sex, uh, washed, sanctified, justified. But he's still struggling with homosexuality. He's still um, groaning and waiting for the redemption of our bodies. I thought it was a very good book. Um, we had a mutual friend who introduced us, and so we started talking. Um, and you know, I had many years of experience with people reading my essay and wanting to ask questions, and I had some thoughts about how the church could do better. Wes had some thoughts. And after a while, we um, said, well, we should create some sort of private discussion group so we can share some of our thoughts with a few of our friends. So we did that, um, and initially we thought about a dozen of our friends, and all of them, after a few days, uh, you know, this is a question they're all talking about. They know people who are talking about, can we invite them too? And yeah, uh-oh is exactly right. <laughs> um, so it grew very rapidly. Um, and people uh, suggested that we should take it public. He and I were both um, graduate students at the time and not anxious to get ourselves much more into the public eye on this than we already were. Um, and then uh, something happened. Uh, university, uh, or Pepperdine University invited you know, Justin and I had written this years before. It had kind of sat there out on the internet getting lots of views. I had tried to reply to people who wrote me, but it was just kind of out there. And then uh, Pepperdine University said, Ron and Justin, will you come speak to us? Uh, our university is divided on this. We want to hear both your perspectives. So we did that, um, and, or we agreed to do that. And as this was coming up, um, they were planning for an auditorium with 700 people in it and worried that it would sell out. Um, and I said to Wes, you know, I think 
if I'm going to do this presentation with Justin and the terms of the presentation are, you know, we want to present both sides of the debate, I think we need to start taking some of the thoughts that we've had on the, you know, how can we support people and take them public. So I think we should create a blog. So we agreed with that. And so um, Justin and I spoke at Pepperdine and Wes and I published the first post on this spiritual friendship blog, which if you understand the how do we connect this to love, well, the idea of talking about friendship is that this is a form of love. Um, and it's surprising as I've studied, you know, look at what does the Bible say about friendship. Abraham is called a friend of God. Uh, the Bible says that God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. At the Last Supper, Jesus says to the disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. He speaks, says, greater love has no man than this. He lays down his life for his friends. And so this talking about spiritual friendship became a way of trying to um, look at what does the Bible say about friendship, what's our experience of friendship, as a way of talking about a love that is not sexual and connecting how do you go about um, loving, not just being an isolated person in an apartment with 15 cats, but a person who's connected to community and um, able to love. So uh, Justin and I did that, and then a bunch of other people started inviting us. Apparently, in 2012 and 2013, this was a thing that Christian colleges uh, were divided on and needed people to come talk about. So Justin and I would go present both sides of the debate, and the Spiritual Friendship blog took off as people wanted to hear, you know, how do we present a traditional version of Christian teaching that is um, not just a no, not just saying you can't do this, but is trying to offer some broader perspective that unites that no to gay sex or same-sex marriage with a broader yes to love and community. So I could go on at great length, but I think that gives you a picture of how um, I got to where I'm at, um, a little bit of how I tried to integrate the scriptural stuff that you guys talked about before um, with you know, how do you go about living that rather than just how do you say, okay, I agree with that. 